Oh, this is exciting. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. Um, over the past couple of weeks, we've been having the theme of glorifying God. And we've had some phenomenal preachers, I think. I think this series has been really practical. It's been really useful. It's been really helpful um, for me personally to think how I can glorify God in different situations. So we've had um, glorifying God at work, at school, in our relationships. Um, so can I encourage you, if you haven't, if you've missed one of those weeks or if you feel like you need to go back and listen, do it because it's been um, a really, really useful series, a really practical series. Um, and I feel like I've got big boots to fill by rounding it off this week, um, talking about glorifying God as we serve. Um, now, I think I've got a little bit of experience with serving. Um, when I was 16 and I'd finished my GCSEs, I went out and I got a job. I got myself a Saturday job because I was desperate to go shopping but I had no money, so I needed some money. Um, so I got myself a job and I worked at a hotel. It was quite a posh hotel. Um, down the road from where we lived and I would serve I would wait on at weddings and um, that was my thing so um, when people got married and they had the ceremony they'd come to us for their wedding breakfast like the big fancy meal part afterwards um, and I would wait on as part of that and the hotel that we did it at um, that I worked at they ran this with like military precision. So before the wedding breakfast started, we would all be gathered into the kitchen and the manager would have a whiteboard with all the tables on, all the chairs on, all the potentially tricky customers. So the vegetarians, the vegans, the people who are likely to have arguments with themselves or possibly drink too much, the people to be aware of and the people to make sure we keep happy. Um, and then we get into teams and within our teams, we'd be given specific roles. And we'd be in teams of three. Now, the first person, their job would be to hand out the plates. This was normally the newbie because not much can go wrong with handing out a plate. Sometimes it did, but you'd hope that not much could go wrong. And they would hand a plate to every uh, wedding guest. Then if you made it past plates, you'd be promoted to veg. And that meant that you got a hot plate, which was a bit more tricky. And it also meant that you had to do silver service, which is like that little claw thing that you have to use a spoon and a fork to scoop. Um, but that was a little bit more responsibility because every now and again you get a tricky customer, someone who wants a specific piece of vegetable that you'd have to chase around the tray in order to be able to serve them. If you pass that test, then you will get the position of highest esteem. You will get the role as meat server. And I would like to say that I did make it to meat server in my time as a waitress. Um, that was a hot plate. It was silver serving meat, but you had to make sure you didn't dribble any gravy over the white tablecloths or over the wedding guests, or even worse, over the bride's dress, which I did see once in my time. And it was, it was horrific. Um, so yeah, I've, I've spent some time serving and I've learned that, that people really like to be served. People like to be waited on. And people like that experience of somebody else considering their needs before they even think of it themselves. And actually, people pay good money to be served. That was a posh hotel. People would pay a lot of money to have that experience of being served. I also learned um, that people don't really tend to like serving as much as they like being served themselves. Um, as a waitress with kind of the other waiting on staff, people didn't really enjoy it. If we weren't being paid for it, there is no way that we would just give up our time to go and do that. 
possibly the worst bit about it was that they made us wear little dicky bow ties and waistcoats so we all looked like penguins. Um, but it was, for some of us, it felt quite, quite humiliating. It felt like, oh, we're being made to look really low so that we can wait on you. And um, yeah, we didn't really like serving as much as the people liked being served. Um, and I think sometimes we can have that attitude when it comes to serving. We can think of it as a job that has to be done or a, a task that has to be completed or something that we can just tick off our list of things that we're doing. Um, but we don't really feel like we should be enjoying it or that we should really kind of, you know, get some, some pleasure out of serving. Um, but I don't think that that's the attitude that Jesus had to serving. Um, Matthew 28, verse 20 if we've got it, says the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. For Jesus, serving was it. Serving was his reason. Serving was what he came to do. He came to serve people. He came to serve God. His motivation every day was to serve people. And for him, it it was a lifestyle. So as I'm talking about serving this morning, let's kind of not think of it as a set time. So it's, serving is not just the hour and a half that I spend at youth on a Friday night, but serving is involved in my lifestyle. It's involved in everything that I do. It's involved in how I treat my husband. It's involved in how I treat my colleagues at work. It's involved in my social life. It's involved in every aspect of our life. And yes, it's involved in church too, but it's more of a lifestyle of serving. So, um, so what do we mean by serving? Well, Automatically, when I think about serving, and I'm sure lots of you do too, um, you will think about church and the teams that we have here at church. Um, just this morning, we've had several teams. We've had the uh, music team, the tech team, the welcome team, the cafe team, the kids team. We've got loads of structured teams and kind of formal ways that you can get involved with ser- serving here at church. But actually, the word serving itself simply means to be of use to. So to serve someone or to serve something means to be of use to it. So when we talk about serving God, and when God asks us to serve us, that means that we get to be useful to God. And that kind of blows me away a bit, bit like Michael was saying before, that we get to kind of, we get to work with God. We get to be useful to God. Like God, who is this vast being, this limitless God that Pastor Charles talked about, this limitless God, this king of the universe, we get to be useful to him. And that, that just blows me away. So if we're being useful to God and if we're helping God, what's God trying to achieve? What is it that we can help God with? And I think that God's goal, um, God's mission is to have relationship with us. His, um, his goal is that people would come to know him. His goal is that people would be set free from things that hold them, help hold them back in their lives. His goal is that people would live in peace. His goal is that people wouldn't live in fear. And that's something that we can, we can do in that structured time when we're serving. It's something that we can do at youth. It's something we can do on a Sunday morning. But it's so much more. It's something that is involved in every single aspect of our life. So... Um, I've, I've entitled this preach this morning, um, The Order of Service. Partly because my brother's getting married in two weeks, and this is one of the things left on his to-do list, and he said that he would listen, so this is a cheeky reminder that you need to get your order of service done. Um, but I've called it The Order of Service because as I've been thinking through serving, 
I think sometimes we can see serving as just an action. So I've made someone a cup of tea on the cafe or I've held the door open for someone or, you know, I've done my stint at youth, I've done my serving. And we see it as an an action. Um, But actually that action is just like the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more that goes on. There's more of an unseen process that goes on to serving that means that we get to glorify God in it. Um, So I believe, and this is kind of my whole message really, this next sentence is my whole message this morning. I believe that serving is a process of aligning your motivation, your attitude, and your gifting for God's glory. So using, having the right motivation, having the right attitude, and then finally moving on to our gifting and using that for God's glory. And that's what I'm going to break down and that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. Um, So some people have three points or have um, three promises or three keys or three things that you can use. Um, I'm a doctor, so I'm doing it slightly differently. I've got three body parts um, that we can use. Um, And I believe that there is an order to serving. There's an order of things that we should serve God with. Um, So bear with me with this one. But the first body part that I think we need to use to serve God is our heart. So the first thing we do before we even think about serving is make sure that we're serving God with our heart. And by that, I mean what is your motivation? Um, We use this word heart all the time. Um, Follow your heart, you know, follow, follow your heart, do it with your whole heart. We use this word heart all the time. And really, when you think about it, your heart is just like the core of who you are. It's, it's your reason for being. It's your reason for doing. It's, it's kind of what makes you you. Your heart is just the motivation behind everything that you do. So when we're serving God with our heart, we need to make sure that our motivation is right. Um, so what should our motivation be? Well, if we've got the next scripture, Matthew 22. 37 to 40. Um, this is a real key scripture for us as a church. This is kind of part of our mission as a, as a church. Um, this is one of our key scriptures, and we do use it all the time. Um, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is key for us as a church. We say that this is our motivation. Our motivation is above all things to love God. And then second to that is to love people. And that's our motivation for us as a church. That's our heart for ourselves as a church. Um, and that's, you know, these are Jesus' words. These sh- this should be our motivation. This should be our hearts for each of us as individuals. And so in all things then, our motivation should be love. Our heart should be love. And you might say that that sounds really simple. Of course, my heart is full of love. Like what else would be in my heart? It's like the heart is just, it's where we love from it. That, that sounds a bit too simple. Um, but this scripture in Proverbs verse 4, 23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So if it's, if it's just a given that our hearts are full of love, why are we told to guard our hearts? Why are we told to kind of protect our hearts? Um, And that's because we go through things in life. Sometimes we can go through difficult circumstances. We can go through difficult situations. um, We can face emotions that um, that want to that can damage our hearts, that can attack our hearts. Um, 
I know Sarah's mentioned this book before, but Andy Stanley, um, who's an awesome pastor, and I think we've looked at his, some of his things in small groups as well before, he's got a book called Enemies of the Heart, which I think some of us have been reading. And in it, he talks about four emotions that if they take root in our heart, they can really damage our hearts. Um, he talks about anger. He talks about greed. He talks about guilt. And he talks about jealousy. And I'm impressed that I've remembered all four of those. Um, and he talks about how they can, if we let them, they can damage our hearts. They can damage our motivation. They can make us act not out of love, but out of response to those things. And none of us are perfect. We will all face those things at some time in our life. We will all face anger. We will all face guilt. We will all face greed. We will all face jealousy at some point. And I have days where I face all four of them on the same day. Um, quite a lot of days I, have, I struggle with those things. Um, and it's just so important that we guard our hearts from them, that we keep our hearts just focused on love, that we keep our motivation focused and centered in love, um, and that we're aware that there are things that can damage us, there are things that can kind of take root in our hearts, and we just need to pray against them. We need to be kind of active and aware that those things go on to make sure that our hearts are kept solely full of love, love for God and love for other people. Because I believe that it is possible to do good things, but to do it with the wrong motivation. Um, if we're not acting out of a place of love and we're acting out of a place of jealousy, then sometimes we can, we can serve, but we can, we can serve maybe for our own selfish reasons. We can serve for um, attention or we can serve for different things. If we're serving out of a place of anger, then maybe we can serve... Just We, we serve from the wrong place. And when we do that, that means that God doesn't get the glory. Either means that we get the glory or no one gets the glory. So we need to make sure um, that our hearts are kept pure and our hearts are kept focused and centered in love. Matthew 5 verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And this really encourages me. This tells me that if I guard my heart well, if I keep my heart pure, if I keep my heart focused on love, and if I protect it well, if I make sure that I'm aware of things that are coming in to try and hurt my heart or damage my heart, if I keep my heart pure and focused and centered on love, then I will see God. And I will see God outworked at home. I will see God at work. I will see God when I'm serving at church. And that's, at the end of the day, that's all I want. All I want is to see God. Um, so can I encourage you, if you can keep your heart pure, if you can keep your heart focused on love, if you can keep your motivation centered on love, then you will see God. You will see God in the areas where you work, in the areas where you serve. So above all else, make sure that your motivation is love and serve God with your heart. Once we've done that, tick, we've served God with our hearts. And we can look at serving him with our next body part. Uh, which is the head, serving God with your head. And by this, I want to ask, how is your attitude? How is your attitude when it comes to serving? What thoughts do you have when it comes to serving? How is your attitude? Um, growing up, I had two younger brothers. Well, I still have two younger brothers. It's, it's a good story. We're all still here. Um, I have and they gave me many, many, many opportunities to develop my attitude. 
um, as all younger brothers do, particularly the elder of the two. Um, he used to really, really wind me up. It's something rotten. He used to know how to push all of my buttons and how to get me irate. Um, one of the things that he would used to do would be when it was just me and him sat in a room, maybe we'd be sat in the living room watching TV, he would say, oh, Beck, pass me the remote. And being the good sister that I was, I would chuck him the remote. Um, and then he'd look at me and this smirk would come across his face and kind of his eyes would widen and he'd go, thanks, slave. And he would call me his slave. And my blood just instantly started boiling, like, that used to so wind me up that he got that satisfaction thinking that I did something as his slave. It used to wind me up. And then what he would do is he would repeat it. So, you know, a couple of minutes, a couple of hours later, whenever his timing was pretty good. Um, he would wait until either mum or dad were with us. And then he would ask me to do something again. He'd say, you know, Beck, pass me, I don't know, the remote, pass me something else. And he would look at me with that same look, that look of, in my head, I'm calling you slave, but I'm not brave enough to do it in front of mum and dad. But you know what I'm thinking. And I would be reluctant. I would not want to do it. And mum would be like, oh, come on, just help your brother. He's asking you. He's being nice. He's being polite, not knowing that he was calling me slave in his head. Um, so I would, I would have to do it. I would have to serve, but I would serve him begrudgingly. I would do it with the stinkiest attitude ever because I had to do it, but nothing within me wanted to do it. I served him, but I did it begrudgingly. And I think sometimes we can serve God begrudgingly. We can serve God because we know it's the right thing to do, but we don't want to do it. There's nothing within us that necessarily wants to do it. We serve God begrudgingly. And I love that word, begrudgingly. It means to be reluctant to allow or reluctant to give. So why would we be reluctant to serve God? And as I've been thinking about this, I've kind of come up with two things that I think, two beliefs that we might have, two wrong beliefs that might make us reluctant in our serving towards God. I think either we tend to see God as maybe a bit of a slave driver or God as a, a mean boss, or someone who is just out to get us, or someone who wants to punish us, or someone who make, wants to make us work and work and work with no reward at all. And that's how we see God, and that can make us begrudging in our serving of him. Or we can kind of have wrong belief about ourselves. We can think that what God is asking to, us to do is beneath us, or that we're better than that. And we can be begrudging in our serving because we think we deserve maybe a little bit more. And that as well in itself is a wrong belief. They couldn't be further away from the truth. God, God is not a slave driver. God is the total opposite of a slave driver. God is a slave set freer. He is... Um, he, the last thing that he is is a slave driver. The Bible demonstrates time and time again, like practically how God set slaves free, how he sent Moses to set slaves free. In the New Testament, it demonstrates how he sets us free from our sin and those things. So God is not a slave driver. God is not some mean boss that we might have in work who just wants us to give and give and give and give and doesn't give us any reward or any pat on the back or anything at all. God is not like that. God does not call us slave. God does not say, you have to serve me because you are my slave. But he says, I'd like you to serve me and I'd love you to serve me because you're my son. 
because you're my daughter, because we're on the same team, because we want the same things. God doesn't call us slave, but he calls us son or daughter. And really, the only difference between those two things is an attitude. And attitude really does make all the difference. As I was kind of researching for this preach, I found this quote, and I don't know who it's from. But it says that attitude is the difference between an ordeal and an adventure. And I think that's so true. Attitude is the difference between an ordeal and an adventure. Having a different attitude doesn't change the situation that we're in. It doesn't change the challenges that we face. It doesn't change the task that we've got to complete. But it changes something within ourselves that means that actually God gets some glory out of that situation. Um, So what do we do when we have a bad attitude? Um, I've got this scripture, Ephesians, if you've got that for us, Jess. Ephesians 4, verse 22 to 24. It says, Throw off your sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. It says here, Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. And I, I love this because it sounds like such a passive process. It sounds like all I have to do is just lie down and let the Spirit renew my thoughts and my attitudes. But I don't know about you, but when I'm in a mood or when I've got a bad attitude, when I've got, I'm going to use this term now, Sam, when I've got a cob on, <laughs> Sam helped me to research this term this morning, when I'm feeling mardy, You know, I've been in Stoke for five years now, so I think it's about time I use some of the lingo. When I've got a cob on or when I'm feeling mardy, when my my attitude stinks, which does happen occasionally, the last thing that I want to do is just to let the Holy Spirit in. I would much rather sit and stew in my own self-pity. I would much rather wind myself up and get even more frustrated and find other things that I can have a bad attitude about. The last thing I'd rather do is just sit there and let the Holy Spirit in. But those are the times when we need to be humble enough and we need to be mature enough to give ourselves a talking to and to say, actually, you know, it's God is your motivation here. Your love for God is your motivation here. Your love for people is your motivation here. You need to change your attitude and we need to give the Holy Spirit permission to come in. So it sounds like a passive thing, but really when your attitude does stink, it can be quite hard to um, have the humility to let God in, to let the Holy Spirit in and to let him work on our attitudes. So how, how could your attitude be better? In what areas of your life could your attitude be better? And you might know instantly, or you might, you might not know. A good thing to do is to talk to other people, talk to your, your spouse, to your husband and your wife, your family, your friends, the people you work with, the people you serve with at church. How could you have a better attitude? In what areas could maybe your attitude improve? And in those areas, that's where we need to let the Holy Spirit in. That's where we need to go through that renewal process um, so that we can bring glory to God in those areas. Like I said, attitude is the difference between an adventure and an ordeal. It's not the task itself being completed that brings glory to God, but it's the attitude behind it. 
So, for example, after youth on a Friday night, um, after all the young people have gone home, we put the chairs out for a Sunday morning. And that means that we kind of, we stay for an extra 15, 20 minutes. And in that time, I could be putting out those chairs with the right cob on. I could be putting out those chairs thinking, I have to do this every week. Like, and no one ever says, thank you for doing this, or I'm putting these chairs. I could be at home right now with a cup of tea. I could be, you know, catching up on my TV, but no, I'm here already. And that brings absolutely zilch glory to God, because that's just me stewing in my own self-pity. But, um, or we could do the same thing. We could put the chairs out with an attitude of, I'm doing this because I'm expectant for Sunday. I'm excited because someone's going to sit in this chair on Sunday. Someone's going to receive from God. I'm serving this church. I'm excited with what we're doing as a church. I'm getting on board with what we're doing as a church. And thank you, God, for this opportunity. And that would bring tons of glory to God. So it's not the action itself. It's the attitude that makes all the difference. So can I encourage you, once you've served God with your heart, Make sure you're serving him with your attitude. Make sure you're serving him with your head, sorry, and make sure that your attitude is right. And once we've done those things, tick, tick, um, we can move on to the third and final thing, um, which is serving God with your hands. Um, and by this, I mean what, what is in your hand? What has God given you? What is your, your gifting? What is your gift? Um, some of you may be able to list off your gifts. You may be able to list off the things that you're good at or the things, um, the, the gifts and abilities and the skills that God has given you. I'm married to one of them people. Um, Rob is really good at knowing what he's good at. And that's not a bad thing. He knows what he's good at. He knows what he's not good at as well. Um, but he just seems to know the things uh, that he's good at doing. He seems to know his gifts. And then there are other people which are more like me, I think, who are either maybe not sure what their gifts are or maybe too humble or, or well, not humble but maybe too kind of shy to share those things and to speak up about those things or maybe you just don't know what your gifts are maybe you've never thought that you have a gift but you do God gives us all gifts if you don't know what your gift is then I think there are two questions that we can ask ourselves to kind of work it out to, to help ourselves to think a bit more about it first of all what are you good at and second of all, what are you passionate about? And if you kind of imagine those as two kind of circles in a Venn diagram type situation, um, where that overlap is, that's where we can really serve God. That's where we can really use those skills, those gifts and abilities to serve God. Sometimes, unfortunately, there is no overlap. So I am really good at some things that I am absolutely not passionate about at all like washing up or hoovering. I'm, I'm good at it. I can do it and I can do it well, but I don't like doing it. I hate doing it. Um, or on the flip side, there's things that I'm really passionate about, but that I'm absolutely no good at. Um, and this for me would be singing. I love singing. I love singing in the shower. I sing in the shower all the time. I sing when I'm cooking. I sing when I'm cleaning to try and cheer myself up from the fact that I'm cleaning. Um, but I'm absolutely no good at it. There is no way that people would enjoy hearing me sing or that that would really bring any glory to God other than from the fact that I'm praising God for myself. But that gap in the middle, those things that we're good at and those things that we're passionate about, that's where God can really use us. So, for example, with me, I, I'm, 
I think I'm good at kind of talking to young people and I'm passionate about them. I'm passionate about getting to know them and find out what they're, what's going on in their lives and encouraging them. And so for me, that's, that's where one of my gifts is and I can work with that and God can work with that to bring glory to himself. Um, I think sometimes when we talk about gifts, we can get a little bit, um, particularly as Christians, we can get focused on the spiritual gifts. Um, things like uh, speaking in tongues, gifts of healing, gifts of prophecy, um, things that we've all kind of learned about if you've been on the Alpha course. Um, and these are good things. These are things that we should desire. These are things that we should pursue. They're things that we should go after. They're things that if we've got these gifts, that we should use them and that we should um, build ourselves up in them. But they're not the be-all and end-all of all the gifts that God has given us ever. God gives us so many gifts that we can use on a day-to-day basis. Just normal things that we're good at doing, that we're passionate about, that he can use um, to build his kingdom and that give him glory. So what are you good at? What are you passionate about? What are your gifts? Maybe it's playing an instrument, maybe it's singing, maybe it's football, an exercise, maybe it's painting, maybe it's cleaning, maybe it's admin, I don't know, whatever it is that we're good at and whatever it is that we're passionate about, God can use it for his glory. And they're not just my words. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, if you've got it, Jess, thank you, says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, Do it all for the glory of God. So whether you play football or whether you sing, do it for the glory of God. Whether you clean or whether you do admin, do it for the glory of God. Whether you make candles or whether you draw pictures, do it all for the glory of God. God uses the things that we're good at. He uses the things that we're passionate about to bring glory to him. And that may be in a structured way. That may be in a corporate way. That may be serving as part of a team. But it also might just mean doing that at home for yourself. It might just mean stepping up a bit at work and using the gifts that you've got in work. It can be in any aspect of our life. Um, Oh, time's gone quickly. (laughs) Um, I'm going to bring things to a bit of a close, and I've got a little bit of a challenge for you. Um, So thank you, Tim. We've talked this morning about um, serving God and glorifying God. Serving God with our hearts, making sure our motivation's right. Um, Serving God with our heads and making sure our attitude's right. And serving God with our gifting. Um, 1 Peter 4 verse 10. It says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Um, this, This scripture tells me that God gives us gifts from his grace, that we don't necessarily deserve things, but that God loves us so much that he gives us gifts, um, which is awesome. But I just want to highlight this, this thought and maybe this concept of being faithful stewards with our gifts. I think um, in, in church in particular, when we think about this term stewardship, we think about it in relation to our finances 
or we think about it in relation to our resources. We think about tithing and offering and giving to charity and making sure that we are being faithful stewards with what God has given us, making sure that we're being responsible with the money that God has given us, making sure that we're using the money wisely to glorify God, making sure that we're not being wasteful, and that's what we think of being as um, faithful stewards. But actually, God asks us to have that same approach and that same attitude when it comes to our gifts as well. He's given us gifts and he wants us to be faithful stewards with them. That means that he wants us to use them for his glory. He wants us to, in the same way that we be responsible with our money, he wants us to be responsible with our gifts. He wants our gifts to be used for his um, kingdom. He wants his gifts, our gifts to be used for his glory. Um, so the kind of the challenge that I want to leave you with is how are you stewarding your gifts? Have you got gifts that you've been keeping to yourself? Have you got gifts that you enjoy doing for yourself, but maybe you've never thought about how you could use those things for God? Um, Maybe there's something that you are thinking about now, a, a, a skill that you've got or an ability you've got or something that you used to do that you want to go back to doing, that you want to pick up again, something that could be used to glorify God. Because stewardship isn't just about money, it's not just about resources, it's about our gifts as well. So can I encourage you to think about how you can use the gifts that God's given you? How can you use those gifts to serve God and to glorify God? How can you use those gifts not just to serve yourself, but to bring glory to God?